Hey everybody, this is Kendall from the Recording Lounge Podcast. Thanks for joining us today. Today I've got a show that is the top 10 things you need to know about working with clients. Now I know that not all of you have clients and sometimes you're working for yourself um, and you're just making your own music and that's great, Um, but I still think it's important to know how to deal with clients and deal with people that have hired you to do a job. So I'm going to talk about 10 considerations, not necessarily in a particular order, but the top 10 considerations for you and clients. Okay, number one, or number 10, however you decide to look at this. Like I said, these are in no particular order, but I'm just going to go number one. Number one, they hired you, which means you work for them. Now, of course, that's in general. Sometimes there's different arrangements, but um, in most situations, they hire you, which means you are working for them, which essentially means they are your boss. Um, You need to understand that relationship. I know that In the studio, especially if you're a studio owner um, and they're recording in your studio, you kind of can get this inflated sense of like, I'm the most important person here. Um, But really, you need to look at it more like, you know, you're an electrician or a plumber or you're a freelance worker um, that is being hired to do this job. Now, of course, they hired you because you're the expert, quote, quote, right? Like, That is a part of this, but at the end of the day, they're the ones who are paying you. So the big key thing to remember about this is it's not your record, right? Like they are the boss. And again, I know that there are certain situations with, say, labels where the artist isn't really your boss, the label's kind of your boss, or if there's another producer involved, then they're kind of your boss, but they're not necessarily the ones paying you. Maybe it's the artist, maybe it's the label. So I know there are some different circumstances, but for most of the people, at least that I work with, um, they hire me directly, and that means essentially they're my boss. So understand that relationship and realize that it's not about you. In the end, it's really about them. Number two, now this is a big one to understand, a really important one. You will disagree on things, okay? Very rarely do I get in a situation where me and the artist agree on every single thing. At the same time, while that might be like, oh gosh, I hate when this happens, a lot of times two things come from disagreements. Number one, a compromise can often come that's cooler than the original, than either original idea, um, where you can find something new. You're, you put your heads together and say, hey, well, you want this, I want this. What about if we just do this and maybe that will actually accomplish both of what, you know, both of our ideas, but in a different way. So sometimes disagreements can lead to really creative things. But the second thing that disagreements do is they let you know as the producer or engineer that your client has an opinion. And while that doesn't seem like anything big, I'll phrase it this way. It's very scary to me when I send somebody a mix and they're like, sounds great. I mean, I feel confident about my skills but when the artist or client has no input, that's a that's a situation I don't want to be in because I don't want to be the one making all of the decisions because sometimes artists are new or they're you know they're not really experienced and they don't really understand exactly what they want or what their sound is or whatever. And they trust you to get a good recording, but 
you also need your artist to push you. And if you're the artist in this situation and you're listening to this podcast, you need to push your producer to get what you really want. And trust me, I understand that sometimes we work with a certain producer or engineer because we want kind of what they do. Yes, that's true, but you also need to make sure that you're communicating your vision to the art to the producer and to the uh, engineer. Now, as the producer or engineer, you need to try your hardest to try to interpret that vision and understand what it is that they're really wanting. Now, I will admit, sometimes that's arguably the hardest part of what I do. I tell people a lot, the hardest part, it's not that hard to get a good recording, even a decent recording. It doesn't take a bunch of gear, doesn't take a bunch of money. It's not that hard to get a good recording. What's really, really hard about what we do is getting the right recording. And I've said this before on the show, and I'll say it again, but it's just getting the right recording or the appropriate recording or the one that matches the artist's intent or vision, that is so, so key to getting good results, lasting results, and creative results. And not only that, but that's really the producer's job. Like, as a whole, that's kind of the producer's job in a nutshell, is making sure that that vision comes to fruition. Now, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. That's incredibly hard to do. And I've experienced situations where I mean, I've experienced every kind of situation where a band will come in and, you know, they say this is their vision and then their music doesn't really sound like that. And it's like, am I going to try to remold this band into this? Or are we just like, how, you know, how strong is that vision? Or is that just like their inspiration? Okay. Inspiration and vision are kind of a different thing in this context, right? Like, Inspiration is just things that inspire you and things that you like and things that are impressive to you and things that, you know, make some sort of impact on your musical journey. But an actual vision is like, this is what it's going to sound like when it's done. This is what I want it to sound like when it's done. And those two are important to make the distinction on. Okay. Anyway. Um, we're going to talk a little bit more about that later, but, uh, I just wanted to point out that you will disagree on things. You shouldn't necessarily shy away from disagreeing on things. Anytime a disagreement happens, just try to keep your cool and try to figure out what's really going on. What's the reasoning behind it? Why, why don't you like this? Why do you like that? And, and eventually something will work out. Okay. Uh, it might take some time. It might delay the process. And that's always frustrating for everybody involved um, to have delays and to have confusion. And especially when you're dealing with a band where you have, say, five members, you know, them having to all kind of weigh in their opinions. Um, it's a little easier when it's just one artist, you know, because it's just you and this person. But if it's a band, you know, they have to communicate and they have to talk about this and that. And maybe they'll come up with a solution and bring it to you and see what you think about it. Um, but again, a lot of this stuff does defer back to number one, which is they hired you. It's not your record. So at the end of the day, even if you d disagree on things like as a producer, I would advise you to only fight for things that you really feel are important. But at a certain point, know when to, you know, back out, know when the game is up and you're like, you know what, what am I trying to gain here? You know what I mean? Like, what am I trying to gain by arguing for this point? Um, you know, is it because I want 
some sort of I some sort of ego issue where it's like, well, this is my idea and I really like it, so I want to do it. Um, or is it what what's holding you back from just doing what they want? Okay, that's another important thing to sort of diagnose is look at yourself and ask yourself, why am I fighting for this? You know, try to explain to them why you're fighting for it. For example, um, I was working with a band about a year ago and we had this guitar part in the song that I really liked. And uh, eventually the lead singer was saying things like, um, man, I don't know, that guitar part sounds kind of cheesy or whatever. And I didn't think it was cheesy at all. I thought it was like aggressive and wild and like just came out of nowhere. And that's specifically why they didn't like it is they felt like it kind of popped out of nowhere. And um, so I made the argument I, rather than just saying, you know, I like it. I like it. Why don't you like it? You know, that's not helpful. I tried to make my case like, hey, I think this is a really cool moment in the song that can grab the listener's attention away from the sort of steady state, you know, existence of the song and really grab their attention and make them pay attention for a second. So that was my sort of reasoning of why I liked it so much. And that's exactly why the guitar player liked it. Because he was like, man, I like that it's so aggressive. I like that it just... Because it was like a pretty a fairly chill song. And then there was like this kind of fuzzy guitar solo riff thing. It wasn't really a solo, but... Anyway, it ended up working out where we we made a compromise, we kept it in, but we kind of changed the tone a little bit and made it a little bit less jarring and aggressive, but it was still enough to kind of poke out and grab you. Just didn't so much do it in a way that was sort of harsh to the, to the singer. Um, so that's just one of many examples of things like this where this can happen, where um, you try to really get to the root of the disagreement, not just well, I like it because I like it. I mean, that doesn't really help anybody, right? Um, if you do, And if you don't have a good argument other than that you like it, you probably should drop it. You know what I mean? Like, if you don't have a good argument, like, this helps the song because X, Y, Z, then, you know, what are you really fighting for? Anyway, my point here is disagreements will happen. Just, you know, take them as they are and try to be patient and they'll all work out. Number three, you need to discuss payment with clients before they even set foot in the door. Okay, this is something that I see a lot of people experience, especially newer engineers who are trying to, you know, get out there and get work and stuff and and they're struggling to get paid or get clients that want to pay and, you know, all this stuff or they say, "Well, I worked with this band and they didn't pay me." Like that should never be an issue. Um, don't get me wrong. I've had that issue before only once after that one time. I've never had that situation again because I I changed my perception of the situation and said, listen, if we're not all on the same page, if we don't know, hey, this is how much it's going to cost, um, you know, up front. And ideally, um, in my opinion, I think the projects are best paid for upfront. I know that not every situation is going to allow for that, but I've actually considered um, recently moving to a model that is all upfront payment for a couple of reasons. Number one, it gets money out of the equation for the duration of the project. So it's all, it's all out on the table. Everyone already knows I've already paid. Now they're just waiting on me. 
Okay. There's no like, oh, well, I'm not going to get paid till this day. Can you wait till then? And then I'm getting frustrated with them. It's just an unneeded stressor that you don't need in your creative space. Okay. If they can pay you, I mean, my ideal situation is the first time that I meet with a band to do pre-production before the project or just listen to demos or whatever that pre-production looks like, however minuscule or massive it may be, um, I try to get paid then if possible and say, hey, we're going to you know, pay me up front and uh, then we w- we don't have to worry about it. Like when you set foot in the door to record the actual like studio days, w- we don't even have to think about it. We don't even have to worry about the money. Now, I know that the music industry is kind of tough right now and it's really tough and um, bands are struggling. OK, and artists everywhere all over the world are struggling to make money with their music. So I try to be as flexible as I can. I don't necessarily make people pay all up front. Um, you know, I don't make them do that. Uh, now, certain clients I actually do, but because they've, you know, had issues in the past. But I, it's a tough situation to talk about when you're trying to be in a creative mood, right? Um, so my advice to you is just to get all of that stuff out of the way. Make sure there's no confusion about how much this co- is going to cost. And, you know, I know that it can also be hard to quote somebody before you've even heard them or worked with them or know what they do or what they want. So you really need to make the time and have a conversation with the potential client about what are you wanting? How, you know, what's your vision for this project? What blah, 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 blah. Not only will that help you understand if it's even the right project for you or not, um, but it will also give you a chance to say, listen, this is how much it will cost. This is how you need to pay me. Take it or leave it. And I know that it's it's a shame that we can't just trust everybody to pay us and that everyone's going to pay. And um, But, you know, I've even had a weird circumstance before where, you know, a band broke up and they were like, hey, man, well, we're not going to release the EP um, because our band broke up and we're all in, mad at each other and all this stuff. And they're like, you know, so we're not going to pay you to blah, blah, blah. And I was like, man, I'm sorry, but you signed a contract and you have to pay me. Like, I I put it, you know what I mean? Like, it, it's frustrating. I'm so sorry that your band broke up, you know what I mean? But like, you know, I try to be reasonable in those situations, but it's like, I did all this work. You know, you can't just not pay me. Now, sure, I'm not going to make you pay me for the work I haven't done yet, but for all the stuff I've done so far up on the project, then yeah, you need to pay. So, you know, that situation sucked and it was not comfortable. It was very awkward. And, you know, but, um, since that time I've added something in my contract that says like, if your band breaks up or if you have a member who quits or, uh, gets unexpectedly ill or unexpectedly dies or, you know, like essentially I put it in a nice way in the contract, but essentially it says like, that doesn't change anything about this contract, basically. Like, you still have to pay me. I still have to do the work, you know. And then I also have something in my contract that talks about, like, if something like that happens, um, I kind of try to break down the cost of... Because generally, I, I do a lump sum price either per song or per project. Like, this is the total that you owe, right? So that can make this sort of thing a little bit tricky um, because, you know, what if you said, okay, it's $10,000 to record a record, um, you know, $1,000 a song, 
and you recorded the whole record and then the bass player unexpectedly dies in a car accident, they don't want to finish the record. Um, you've recorded it, but you haven't mixed it. How do you want to handle that cost? How much of that 10,000 was for the recording? How much of that was for mixing? Was any of that for mastering? Was any of that for producing? So I try to put in my contract, listen, like generally speaking, um, you know, this is the price breakdown of what that cost is. If it's a thousand dollars per song, this is what really that's sort of breaking down to. Um, I put that in there. So for that reason specifically that I can refer back to that and say, look, this means essentially that, um, you know, you have to pay me for the work I've done so far. Essentially, you're not going to get charged for the mix unless you want me to mix it. Um, but I can give you the tracks again, the tracks are their property at that point. Um, but that's really it anyway. So I know that that is a, I know that money is such a difficult thing to talk about with clients and it can be awkward. Um, especially because most of what we do is, you know, we're talking to people that are struggling with money about paying you. And, but at the same time, you need to stand your ground and say like, listen, this is my rate. Like, there's no, you know, I'm not going to give you a buddy discount here or whatever. Uh, and I'm going to talk about that here in, on, on point number four. Um, but, you know, it's, this is the rate, it's firm, you have to pay me. This, these are the terms, X, Y, Z, period. You know what I mean? Um, and I would recommend just getting all of that stuff out of the way before they even come into the studio. Number four is beware of getting too close to your clients. Um, there needs to be a bit of a client-producer barrier. Now, I know this is a tricky one, too, because I have many clients that I consider to be friends, but I don't have any clients that I consider to be, say, like, best friends, uh, you know, people that I really tell things to. You know, I sometimes I'll let people in. I'm generally a fairly private guy, um, which you would, you know, maybe find ironic seeing as I have had a podcast for almost 10 years, but, um, but you know, in terms of like personal issues, uh, I don't talk about that a lot with people. I mean, sometimes I'll, you know, tell a story or whatever, but, um, a very select few people know who I am and really like what I think and what I believe and, you know, my ideas and things like that. Um, people that I would consider very close friends, right? And I would say it can be a little bit dangerous to let a client get to that point um, where they're sort of like your best friend or your, you know what I mean? Your, because you don't want to get into a situation where there's not a respect or trust thing going on. Um, because again, I know that in the end, um, they hired you, you know, as per number one here, and it's not your record, but at the same time, you still need to be able to control the room and sort of command the session and say, listen, we're going to do this and this is why. And if you just end up getting in this weird sort of like, you know, you can't tell me what to do because we're friends. Why are you doing that? Why are you doing it this way? You know, it can just really complicate the process to get too close. Now, at the same time, I will sort of add this caveat here, which says, like, you should be able to be comfortable and, you know, friendly with your clients. Like, um, I have a point later, which I'll just get to that one next. Um, it talks about this a little bit, but um, 
you should feel comfortable and and feel like you are friends, but that doesn't necessarily mean you have to like tell them all about your life story and you know like tell them you know everything you do every day and what your schedule is every single day and you know what time your kids get off school and <laughs> you know stuff like that. You know just just be careful, right? Like just be careful about kind of degrading that. A little wall that goes between you and the client that, you know, they do look up to you and, and respect your opinion and don't just look at you as one of the guys that they can treat however they want to treat. Like you do need an element in there. If you want them to trust your opinion and they want you and if you want them to highly consider what you say, um, you know, you have a little bit more weight if you're sort of beyond that wall, right? Beyond that curtain. Um, because otherwise you're just another member of the band and you know how it goes. Like if you've ever been in a band or ever worked with bands, you know that it's kind of a democracy in a lot of ways. Like they, they'll kind of say, well, this is what I think. This is what I think. This is what I think. And they'll come to some sort of agreement. Um, that's great. And that's all good, but all of their opinions generally carry equal weight. But to me, the ideal studio situation is that the band as one unit has an opinion and you have an opinion. Like you have the same weight as five members of the band in terms of your opinion. And from there, then you come up with a resolution. But if you are just one of the guys or one of the gals, um, you know, you're just another sort of cog. Your vote isn't worth anything more than anyone else's vote. Um, now, at the same time, I also understand that you might, you might disagree with this point. You might feel like it's really important to get close with your clients. That's okay too. I'm just saying from my experience, I try to keep just a little bit of a barrier there where I, I let a very select few people into my life. But that's also just a personality trait of myself. I mean, I'm not very close with a lot of my family or a lot of friends. Uh, you know, I have a very small group of people and family and, and friends, like close family and friends that actually kind of know what I'm all about and who I am. And um, I'm just kind of a private person in that way. Um, anyway, I just wanted to say, just consider that, consider sort of how that relationship is. Do they respect you? Do you respect them? Do you have, you know, this sort of special, like, Hey, you need to trust me because I'm your producer. Or are you just sort of like another one of the band members? All right. Number five, if you don't like a client personally, or don't like or understand their music, it's in everybody's best interest that you do not do the project. I know that's hard because I know a lot of times, you know, as engineers, producers, we we all have to take projects for the money um, that we don't want or that we don't necessarily like, but we got to pay the bills. I understand that. But in general, I would make it a point to not take those projects wherever possible because in the end, I would argue that it's A, creating a completely, completely hostile environment, not a creative space. B, from experience, those projects just never turn out as well, you know, because the creative juices weren't flowing and maybe the sessions were kind of awkward and, you know, maybe you just didn't have a lot of work ethic on it. There's a million different reasons of why, but those projects just never really seem to pan out. And number three, the trust relationship there between them and you and, 
is just going to be sort of degraded and they won't trust your opinions and you won't trust theirs. And and then that's just a mess, right? Like that's just not the situation you want to be in. And I would argue that a fourth thing is about this, like if you don't like their music or don't understand their music, you're only doing a disservice to what they're trying to do. You know, I've made this argument before on the podcast, like, um, you know, if you, I think I actually had a show kind of all about this. Like if you don't really get their music or their a vision, or even if you don't like it, um, you know, that's not, it's irresponsible for you to think that, oh, well, I'm going to do the project because I need the money because you're not really allowing them to get that vision realized. If you know sort of from the get-go that you don't get that vision, let's say you don't like country music or whatever it may be, and a country band comes and says, hey, man, we really like your recordings. We want to work with you. Well, at first you might consider it and you might say, okay, it's kind of interesting. A country band wants to work with me and I don't really work with country bands. Why, why is that? You know, you might even ask them, why do you want to work with me? And maybe they'll give you an answer like, well, I really liked the work you did on this, uh, you know, punk rock album. And I kind of want to do a country album that has some of that influence in there. And at that point, you need to make the choice. Is this something I really want to do? Um, or do I, am I, do I feel interested in this or do I just not want anything to do with this at all? That shouldn't be the time when you start thinking in your head, how much should I charge these people, right? Um, you should only be really be thinking about how much to charge somebody once you're pretty sure uh, you want to do the project. Um, now, I know that sometimes I can tell you from personal experience, it will take a couple of years for many people, and myself included, to get to a point when you can do that. When you first start, you know, you generally take anything you can get. Um, but at the same time, you're not charging a lot. They're not looking for a lot. Generally, when you first start out, everyone's kind of green in the process, right? Everyone's kind of new at it. And it's like, uh, okay, I'm, I only charge 50 bucks or 100 bucks to do a song or something. And the band is like, well, I just need a demo to get gigs or I just need a little thing to put online or whatever. Like their expectations are generally low and so are yours. So that's okay. But as you build up your career and your clientele and, you know, you build up your reputation, there comes a certain point when you have to start saying no. And it's it's for your own good, but it's also for theirs because they don't deserve an, a producer who doesn't care, right? They didn't do anything to, to deserve that, right? They deserve somebody who does care and who does like their music and who is excited about their music, right? You, you, you wouldn't want that to be in your situation, right? Like if you had a, a record and you wanted to hire a producer, and what if you found out that they didn't like your music, that they were just doing it for the money? I mean, that, that would be like a terrible, terrible moment where you sit there and think, do they even care about this at all? Like, do they, I mean, it seems like they're trying, but maybe they really just don't care. Um, I will also say that, you know, it, in my career at this point, that's kind of where I am. I'm at the point where I'm trying, I'm starting to say no to projects that I don't have any interest in doing. Um, but thankfully, uh, I'm able to turn those projects to somebody else and say, Hey, listen, this isn't really what I do. I don't think I'm going to be able to get you what you want. Um, but this guy over in, you know, this city or this County or whatever, he's really good at that. I, I highly recommend him. I would call him. Here's his info. 
um, or, or just something like that. You know, try if you do need to turn somebody down, try to have somebody to recommend instead, because that's sort of a nice way to say, hey, listen, I don't think I'm the right person to work on this project. Maybe this guy will be, or maybe this girl will be, or maybe this studio will at least be worth checking out, or maybe this producer is worth giving a call or, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So just think about that next time, you know, you get a, you get a call from a potential client. If you don't like the person, if you don't vibe very well, if you feel like there's this sort of weird, you know, just like tension going on between you and the person, if you don't like or understand their music, like I said, it's in everyone's best interest, yours and theirs, that you don't take the project. Number six, make sure that everyone in the room understands the process, game plan, workflow um, of each other, which means you need to understand them and they need to understand you. Okay. Every band is slightly different. Every artist has different needs. They have different wants. They have different visions. Um, not every drummer likes the same drum sounds. Not every guitar player likes the same guitar sounds. Some bands like to record live. Some bands like to record individually. Some bands do kind of a hybrid where they might record drums and bass or they might like set up everyone in the room but only keep the drums. So it's important that you understand how this band works best. And the more that you work with this band or artist, um, over time, the more you'll figure that out. Okay. That's a really important point that uh, I almost made its own point actually is that the more you work with somebody, the easier it will get generally, because you'll know from last project, you'll know, you know, I know this drummer doesn't like this type of thing on his snare sound, or I know the drummer plays his cymbals this way. I know that he uses this, these cymbals, um, or I know the bassist, she has this bass. She really likes it. I don't like the sound of it, but I'm going to have to do a lot of work to get it there. Maybe this time around, I'll convince her to use a different bass, or you know, maybe I'll have a new approach to attacking that bass sound. Um, so, like I said, it's really important to understand the needs of this particular artist, you know, and kind of keep a catalog in your mind of what uh, the artist needs and where they struggle and what areas you really need to pay attention to. Okay. I actually keep a little notebook um, that talks of, that essentially is like a little like journal of my clients. And I have, you know, like the name of the band up top or the artist. And then I have sort of a strengths and weaknesses section where I say, listen, this artist is really good at this. Um, these are the areas where they struggle. And that really helps. I know it sounds kind of weird, like it's like a hit list or something, but, uh, you know, I put, I document that stuff just because that's kind of how I am. I, and if I work with a band after not working with them for a long time, and, you know, I can go back into that journal and say, hey, look, I remember this band, um, their guitar player has really mediocre guitar tone and their singer has really good pitch, but not very good timing. We had to use this set of headphones for him or whatever. You know, there's all kinds of things that you could put in there, essentially like little note cards. You know, in, in uh, business school, they tell you if you meet somebody, you know, you ask for their business card and then you write things down on the back so that you can go back. And if you ever have to go meet this person again, you can pull out their business card and you can say, oh, uh, you know, Jamie, she likes she speaks Spanish and uh, she likes to vacation in Colorado. Right. Like <laughs> you can write that sort of thing down on the business card. And so when you meet that person, you can say, oh, you know, hey, have you 
been to Colorado lately, or maybe you can learn some Spanish for them, right? So that's the sort of like weird generic uh, business stuff they teach you in business school, right? <laughs> so, uh, but it's kind of the same philosophy, right? Like you you keep some sort of a log of your clients and you log like, hey, this is where they're really, really good. Make sure to let them do those things. This is where they struggle. So watch out for those things. So similarly, while you need to make a make it a point to understand how they work best and how they uh, need to be recorded or how you need to address their needs, you need to make it very clear to them what you need, right? You need to make it clear that, hey, I need to get this. I need to do this. We're going to do this this way because I think it's going to make a better record, especially if you know from working with them in the past, you can say, listen, last time we did this, I don't necessarily think that was the best way to go about it. I think this time we need to try this. Um, most clients are going to be very understanding. They just want a good sounding record. Okay. Um, now, if you haven't worked with them before, it's really important to understand this sort of thing up front and try to talk to them as much as you can ahead of time to try to figure out, you know, are they experienced? Have they recorded anything before? Do they feel comfortable recording? Do they Are they scared or nervous about anything in particular, like maybe their voice or maybe their guitar playing? Um, generally, there's going to be something that you need to know, right? Like there's almost never nothing that you need to know about this person. Generally, it could be something as simple as like, well, you know, three of the songs are really solid, but the other two, I don't feel very confident in them. The lyrics, I'm not really crazy about those. So at that point, you need to sit there and think, all right, in, in my particular job capacity, how I'm being hired, is that something we should work on ahead of time? Do we need to talk about game plan for working on the lyrics of those songs or do we want to just play it by ear? Um, so just make sure that you're really involved in the process, that they understand your process, that you understand theirs, what they need, and that everyone's cool with that, right? That, that, that is a good relationship and that you're both happy about that. Especially if you have a situation where, uh, an artist wants to say record live and you can't do that. You don't have the number of inputs or you don't have a big enough room or you don't have, you know, don't just... <laughs> you know, don't say you can if you can't, if you really can't effectively, um, you know, and you can be creative about this. Like, let's say you're a, you're a really talented engineer and you've recorded live bands before, but you personally don't have a studio that can hold that many people. Let's say it's nine people in the band, okay, big band. Um, you can you could say things like, all right, well, we could rent out this studio. Um, I could charge you this amount per day to be the engineer, um, but you're going to need to pay the studio for the space and then I'll record you there. So you don't have to just throw up your hands and, and be like, oh my gosh, well, I can't do anything about this because I don't have XYZ. Like you can get creative and always find a solution generally. But uh, the big key point to know here is that just make sure everybody is aware of how this process is going to play out and and make sure everyone's cool with that and make sure everyone feels like that's the right attack plan of attack and that that's the right approach and make sure that they sort of get a window into your mind just a, just enough to where they understand why you're doing the things they're doing or why you're doing the things you're doing and why they do the things they do. Number seven, most of the time they will not work as hard as you. 
Now, I'm not saying that to discount the work that they put in because I know that recording takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of prep. It takes a lot of practice. It takes, you know, they've got to write the songs and often they're demoing the songs and often they're rehearsing the songs and they come to record and then they're, you know, recording for hours and hours and hours a day. And, you know, they might be playing guitar or drums for six, seven, eight hours. I mean, that's like an eight hour gig. Okay. I know that it's physically demanding and taxing, uh, you know, mentally, physically, emotionally. Recording is a lot of work for everybody involved. But why I bring this up is to say um, you will probably end up putting way more hours logged into this than they have. And you shouldn't let that bother you because that is the gig. I don't bring this up to say like, well, you're a better person because you work more. Quite the opposite, really. I'm saying get used to working more than they do because that's the job. They hired you to work your butt off to do this record, right? Like that's the job. I know some engineers can get frustrated about this fact that, you know, they're sitting there and the artist is working and then once the artist leaves, you have to do all of this work to clean it up, edit this, edit that, uh, tune the vocals, you know, clean up the drums, do the comps, do all this stuff, right? Um, and I know that that takes a lot of hours. I know that probably for every project I work on, I log about two to three times more hours than they do on the process. And that's just part of the gig, right? Like I work 60, 65 hours a week, every single week. I almost never get a holiday. The only real time I have a holiday is around Christmas time. And, you know, that's just part of the job. Like if you thought this was going to be a walk in the park, I mean, I'm sure you've already realized it's not, okay? It takes a lot of hours to get good results. And part of your goal as an engineer, as a producer, is to shrink that time, to make over time. Like, it's kind of like as a guitar player or as a drummer, one of the sort of big hurdles is speed and accuracy, right? You want to be able to play quickly and comfortably and feel light on the strings, you know, it's like, or on the drums, right? You want to be able to play something complex and it feel natural and not feel like a huge struggle. And that takes time. It's like a big block of ice, right? You're slowly chipping away at it as the years go by, as you improve, as you practice, as you improve your skills, slowly that big block of ice starts to become more like a sculpted thing. That is one of your big struggles and one of your uh, big ice blocks as a producer engineer is time. So understand that like by default, you're going to put in way more time than they do. And that's just the nature of the job. As you improve, that's your block of ice to chip down, not theirs. It's not their fault that you may take a long time, right? That's kind of your fault and that's your responsibility. So over the years, um, you need to find ways to chip down at that block and slowly make your process more efficient, more, you know, streamlined, um, more effective, so you're spending fewer hours doing more things, right? So over the years, as it goes by, maybe you used to be able to mix a song in two days. Well, now maybe it's one day. Um, you know, maybe it's seven hours. Maybe it's six hours. And then over a year, slowly you can work that down to where you feel really confident um, mixing a song in a short amount of time, maybe four or five hours, 
right? Um, now, for me, I'll tell you just my personal experience with this. When I first started out, it would take me days and days to get even like a mediocre mix, right? Like I would work four or five hours one day and then four or five hours the next day. And then that would go on for three or four, three or four days. And at the end of the week, I would have a mix that was like passable, but still pretty mediocre. It was like, okay, you know, it's all right. You know, and that was probably 11, 12 years ago. And, you know, I remember looking back at that time and struggling so much with mixes and I'd take them to the car and I'd take them to headphones and I'd listen to them again and I'd rework them. And I'd, I mean, I would make probably, so not only did it take a long time to make a mix, but I would have to make, you know, five mixes before I got it right. So in the end, it could take eight days to, you know, 10 days maybe to get a mix that was worth anything. Um, and that was so frustrating for me when I first started and I didn't really know what I was doing. I mean, none of us do when we first start, but you know, flash forward now over a decade later and I can pretty consistently get a really good mix a, uh, you know, my first mix of a song in about six hours. So not only has the time gotten shorter, but the quality is exponentially better. So that's a huge factor for me. And, you know, my goal would be able to be able to mix maybe two or three songs in one day. I can't, I can't even dream of that. Even now, I still only mix one song a day because after that six hours, my brain is just toast. And maybe I'll never be able to do that. I don't know. Maybe I'll never be able to mix three songs in a day. Um, maybe I shouldn't want to do that. You know, maybe I shouldn't want to bias myself and hear, you know, multiple songs in one day, but at the very least, my next sort of speed goal when it comes to mixing is to be able to mix two songs a day, right? To where I could mix, uh, you know, for four or five hours in the morning and then take a lunch and then four or five hours in the afternoon. Um, that would be a great goal for me where I could do that and I could mix two songs in a day. That would be a huge thing to improve my speed and my workflow. And I think personally my creativity, but also that would improve the turnaround time for my clients. Right? So I'm constantly working on that thing. I'm constantly figuring out, well, are there any plugins that I'm using that are sort of like time wasters, right? Things that, um, are either, a slow for my processor to process, or I recently found a plugin that I had that um, I did a bunch of tests with rendering. So I used my, I put up my default uh, template for a mix, right? Which mostly just has like reverbs and delays and a couple of other plugins on the master bus and stuff like that. And I dragged in a song and I rendered it, right? Then I took all the plugins off of my template and I rendered it again. Well, let's see if I've got the paper here. Okay. Uh, so when I rendered the song, it was a four and a half minute song with all of those sort of default plugins on my reverbs and delays, it rendered in about two and a half minutes. So that was pretty fast, right? Even though, you know, I wasn't using a ton of plugins, it was still, you know, double the speed of the original. I took off all the plugins, it rendered in 15 seconds. So I was like, okay, wait a second. This is, <laughs> this is really quick. So what's happening here? Well, turns out one of these sort of oddball reverb plugins that I was using um, added about a minute and a half to the render time. And I just had one instance of it. 
It was very odd. It added a minute and a half to render time. So because of that experiment, I was able to determine like, you know, I like the sound of that reverb, but that's too much because if I'm using that on every single session, which I have been for two years, that has added a minute and a half to my render time for the last two years. That's only if I have one instance of it too. I didn't even test if I had two instances of it. So because of that, I made a decision to no longer use that reverb. I, I pulled up a different reverb plugin and uh, tried to match the sound of that particular reverb as much as possible because, you know, it uh, it's so... Like, think about it. I must render things thousands of times a year. If I work on 100 songs in a year or 50 or whatever, and I'm rendering mix A, mix B, and maybe I'm rendering a demo, maybe I'm rendering this, maybe I'm rendering that. I mean, I probably render thousands of files per year. And if I had a thousand files that each take an extra minute and a half, that's 1500 minutes. That's, that's 25 hours, right? That's an incredibly long amount of time wasted by this one plugin. That's just one small thing, right? Now imagine if you went through your whole studio and looked for all the ways that you could improve efficiency. Another way that I've improved efficiency in my studio is my snake in the live room. They are all uh, hardwired to mic pre's. Now I don't mean hardwired like physically like soldered into them, but what I mean is they're constantly plugged into the mic pre's. They're not plugged into a patch bay and then to the mic pre. So, for example, if I want to use my BAE 1073s, I know that that's number seven and eight. The opposite situation, which is more common actually in a lot of big studios, and this is how I was taught when I was working at a big studio, is um, we run all these tie lines to a patch bay. Then the patch bay, we plug those from that into the preamps. And then from the preamps, we go, you know what I mean? So there's an extra step of patching in there because you would have to go you know, from the tie lines into uh, the patch bay. And then you have to pick which preamp you want. And then you have to pick from the preamp where that goes. So instead, in my studio, number seven on my live room snake is my first BAE 1073. That goes into the patch bay, number seven, which then goes directly in normaled on the patch bay to my interface, channel seven. So everything is channel seven the whole way up. So when I plug in there... It's already ready to go. I don't have to do anything else, <laughs> right? To me, think of the the extra 30 seconds that that saves every single time you plug in a microphone. Every single time. Thousands and thousands of seconds saved, right? Um, now, of course, there are some situations where I'm like, man, I really wish that I could you know, quickly switch between this and this and do this. But most of the time, I never want it any other way because of the speed and efficiency of that. So when uh, the whole point of this one is just to say like, you're going to work hard and you need to work hard. And if the physical, like the sheer number of hours bothers you, then which it kind of bothers me. And it bothers a lot of people that it takes so much time um, out of our lives. It, you need to constantly be looking for ways to improve efficiency, right? That's not their fault that it takes you a long time. There are some guys out there and girls that that can do mixes so quick it'll make your head spin, right? These people can do a mix in an hour or two. And that's mind-boggling to me because I can't do that. You should always look for ways to lessen that time so that 
you know, you aren't really working yourself into a pulp and like killing all your creativity on this process. Because again, your job is to help the vision come to fruition. It's your job to get good sounds. It's your job to get a good mix or whatever it may be. So, you know, you really shouldn't be pushing yourself to a point of insanity where you're, where you just hate the project now because you've put in so many hours, like get used to the fact that it's a lot of hours and it's your responsibility to try to make that process quicker, not theirs. And again, if you're complaining about the time because of things like, oh, well, I have to, you know, edit their vocals because their singer is not good, or I have to, you know, heavily edit their drums and I have to do this. Maybe you shouldn't have taken that project in the first place, right? Um, that's the thing. Like if you've got a band that you know is going to be a ton of work and you feel like that work is not, you know, balanced, you know, the work sort of like return on investment, if you will, is not balanced. Don't take the project, right? It's that simple. But if you like the music, if you like working with them and you've found all these ways to make your process as efficient as possible, it's probably worth doing. Number eight, make sure they know that one of the most important things about recording is that they are as prepared as possible. I always tell my bands and my artists that I work with, be prepared. You cannot be prepared enough. Like you should be so prepared to record these songs that you could play them in your sleep. You know what I mean? Um, so try to really nail that into their heads early on before you start working together. Make sure that they are prepared. Make sure that they've been thinking about the vision. Make sure that you've been talking to them about the vision. Um, if they don't understand, tell them how to prepare, what to do. Tell them, hey, make a demo, get together and practice, get together and write, write out your lyrics, think about harmonies, think about guitar parts, think about, you know what I mean? Think about how you want it to sound when it's finished. Try to hear it in your head before it's finished. What does it sound like? Do you have any reference tracks? If so, what are they? If you have a reference playlist, send it to me. All kinds of things like that. Okay, so now sometimes, of course, if you're doing the pre-production, then you're kind of the one leading this meeting anyway. But if you're not really doing pre-production, um, you know, you need to tell them those things because it, it, again, it only benefits the entire project. If you do this, like you gain nothing by not helping them out. You gain nothing by not giving them tips to prepare and things to think about. If anything, it's just going to make you frustrated later when they come in and don't really know what to do, what they're doing. They haven't really rehearsed the song that's just going to make the whole process rough. Now, again, you would think that they would get it. You would think in your mind, it's common sense. Like, why would we record a song that's, you know, that we don't really know? Like, it doesn't make sense to me. Um, maybe they're just really excited about it. And they're like, man, we haven't really figured out everything, but we love this song. It's like, okay, I get it. But we still have to do some pre, you know, work to make sure that this is all going to be fine and that we have a game plan. So if they don't know how to be prepared or if you've never worked with them before, even if you have, just make sure that you're preparing them as much as you can. That means either doing it yourself or tell them how they can prepare, even down to things as simple as like, hey, make sure you get some extra guitar strings, make sure you bring in an extra snare head, make sure you bring in, you know, don't just come here and use my stuff and expect that all to be fine. Like bring your own stuff. Um, you know, you can end up using my stuff too, but I want to hear your stuff and I want it to be well-maintained and I want to hear what your guitar sounds like and what your amp sounds like. I'm trying to get an interesting recording. 
Um, you know, so I, I just all those sorts of things. There's so many considerations when it comes to preparing a band, um, but just make sure that they're familiar with all of them and that you've given just that extra little, you know, hour or two to help them prepare and plan for the session ahead. Number nine, communication is key. Now, this one should be obvious, but if you're in the audio profession, you need to be a good listener, <laughs> right? And I don't mean just a listener to music. I mean a listener to people. You need to kind of be able to understand and really listen to what somebody's saying. And you need to also be able to articulate your own opinions and have a conversation with people about what they need, what they want, what their vision is, blah, 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 et cetera. But also just in general, you need to be as efficient as possible when it comes to communicating with clients. Me personally, I always prefer text and email over phone calls for one big reason, and that's because I have a record of it. So if they say something like, hey, can you do this to the kick drum or whatever on this mix? And I'm like, sure, I'll do that first thing tomorrow. Because a lot of times clients are, you know, they might text you, um, you know, at night, maybe they get off work, they, you know, get off the gig and they listen to the mix that you sent them. They might text you as soon as they hear it so they don't forget it, which, you know, it's a fair point. Or they might email you. I much prefer that to having people call me because I have a written record of it. If I have a voicemail, it might get deleted. Or if I get a phone call, I might forget. I might not be in a place where I can write it down. Um, you know, so you need to understand that communication is just a part of the job. It's it's key to getting good results. It's key to having a good relationship with the client. It's key to not really having money issues or struggles with them paying you. Because again, like talking over email, planning this planning out before you start, getting the contract, getting all that stuff, you know, out of the way, talking about the preparation, a lot of the things we've talked about today, and even disagreements and talking about, you know, all of these things. Like all of it kind of ties back to communication and how that is so, so important to this relationship. So you need to constantly evaluate, am I communicating my ideas clearly? Am I understanding their ideas clearly? You know, the ideal situation is that everybody is on the same page. I know that doesn't always happen, but in general, you need to try to make sure that there's sort of just this flow of communication. Um, one thing that I generally like to do is have a group text thread with the band if there are multiple members, because then everything's out in the open. I'm not like talking to one of them, or talking to the other one. I mean, sure, sometimes you end up just talking to one person about a specific concern, but in general, I like the group text thread or the group email because everybody can see what's going on. Everyone's involved. Everyone's part of the conversation. Um, you know, and if it's an individual artist, like I said, I like text and email and also because you can attach things to those, right? To me, it's, it's annoying when you're on the phone with somebody and they're like, well, I'm going to send you this email. It's like, why couldn't you have just sent this information plus the attachment in the email? Then I could go back and look at it, whether I'm, you know, inside on my laying in bed or I'm out here in the studio or I'm at lunch or whatever. Like it's way more efficient for me because with email and text, I can get that anywhere. Even if I'm, I'm not at the studio, I'm not even in the country. I can still get a text or an email. Um, but if they call me, you know, a lot of times I keep my phone on silent during sessions because I don't want it to ring. <laughs> and I don't, you know, I don't want it to possibly, you know, if I happen to leave my phone in the live room, I don't have to worry about it going off during a take, right? Or whatever. 
Um, I generally will have my phone right in front of me, but I also just don't want to be distracted by my phone all day because I get phone calls and I get people, you know, I get telemarketers and I get all that stuff. So, um, you know, I, and because I'm a business, I get calls from the bank and I get calls from, you know, these people trying to sell me a credit card or whatever, right? Like, I don't want to be distracted by that thing. So in general, I like text and email that needs to be communicated as well with your clients. Like, Hey, I am best reached at these times on this, you know, this format, text, uh, email, whatever. I have some clients that prefer to talk on the phone and I, I do my best to talk to them on the phone, but it is generally kind of a distraction for me, but I do it because again, they have communication needs. Maybe they can't text. Maybe they can't send emails easily. Maybe it is a pain for them. Um, I have some clients that they work in an office and they can't send personal emails over their computer and they're not supposed to be on their phone. My wife's job is even like that. She's not supposed to be on her phone and she's not supposed to use her work email for personal things. Um, you know, so yeah, it, it's just kind of its own monster, but it's so important. Communication in general is so important to getting good results, making sure everyone's on the same page, making sure all the ideas are out in the open, making sure like what they want is clearly communicated. And I know that you got to understand also that one of the reasons why musicians make music is because they're not necessarily good at communicating in other ways, right? Like, <laughs> that's a very real factor in this, that musicians make music because they feel they can say more with their music than they necessarily can with their words or with their actions. Um, so that's a very real element of this, that musicians, they they sometimes do have trouble communicating. So you need to take it upon yourself to try to be as clear and open and direct with communication as possible. And don't give any sort of excuses or reason for it to not just be clear, open lines of communication between you and the band. So just make sure you're constantly evaluating the communication between you and your clients. Number 10, the most important thing out of the relationship between you and your clients is trust. They need to trust that you are here to make their record and do so as best as you can. You need to trust that they are prepared to make that record. You need to have this mutual understanding that we're in this together. We're going to make a good product. It's going to be great, right? The trust relationship is so important and you need to do whatever you can to preserve it. A lot of the things we talked about today come back to trust. When I talked about even the first point, they hired you, which means you work for them. That's a trust relationship, okay? They need to be able to trust you. You need to be there to assure them that you're here to do the best work that you can. You need to be able to assure them that you believe in their project and you want it to be as good as possible, even if it's not exactly what you wanted it to be, even if it turns out a little bit different than you expected, okay? Same thing, we just talked about communication, that's so important to be able to have these open, clear, like transparent lines of communication between everybody. So there's not any weird things going on, right? I had one situation a couple years ago. I'll just tell a quick story. I was working with a band and I was hired to record like drums and guitars. And it was like four or five days and then we we're done. The producer on the project was a friend of mine and I was just hired to engineer. I was not producing in any way. Um, well, uh, we did the session. It w went fine. A couple weeks go by and I get a call from, I think the guitar player. And he said, Hey, listen, man, like the, the mixes are not working out. We're not really happy with them. Uh, we're wondering if you wanted to mix it. And 
because the producer is a friend of mine, I was like, listen, I'm not just going to, even though I would love to mix it, I'm not just going to say yes, because I'm not going to be responsible for like swiping this project out from under him. If you have not communicated something to him that maybe he just doesn't understand. So I told him, I was like, you need to talk to him and say, listen, we're not really happy with the results. Okay. Don't just go behind his back and hire somebody else. You need to talk to him first and say, hey, listen, we're not really happy with the results, um, but we're going to give you a shot to do this, you know, but if if it's not working out, you know, we're going to hire somebody else. In the end, I actually ended up mixing that project, um, but it wasn't for a couple months later. But I felt good that I did the right thing and didn't just swipe the project out from under them, right? Like, I felt like I did the right thing. And in the end, we're all still buddies and friends and nothing weird. You know, it wasn't, it didn't get weird, which I imagine had I just said, yes, I'd love to mix the project, it would have gotten weird and it could have potentially hurt the relationship between me and the producer, who's a friend of mine, could have been awkward and maybe that could have gotten around because again, you never know if, if that did hurt the relationship between me and my friend, maybe he would have been really offended and, you know, talked about it on Facebook or like, I mean, who knows? Like it could have been a bad situation. I don't know his life circumstance at the moment. Maybe he was dealing with some really tough times and and he needed the money really badly. I don't know. Point being, I'm not going to do something like that because I want, I want to be able to trust the people that I work with, whether it's a client or another producer um, I have a, a lot of respect for the people that are trying to do music, whether they're in my shoes or in the artist's shoes. And I just don't want any of those things to be odd or strange or awkward or unclear or sort of mischievous. I want all of those lines of communication to be open and clear. So, um, and I want to preserve the trust of these people for as long as I can. Um, so, that whole situation ended up working out, but again, at the end of all of it, I was able to feel good about my decision. And so that's just one example of trust. Another example of trust is when you're working with a band and they don't really know what to do. And of course, you need to feel like they can come to you and say like, we don't really know what to do about this issue, whether it's a mix issue or whatever it may be. Um, what do you think? You want to have that relationship with them where you feel respected that they can come to you and ask your opinion. If the band doesn't trust you on those matters and they just kind of constantly override your opinion and they're like, nah, well, that's not really what we want to do. Um, so do it this way. Um, that can get really frustrating and that can get really annoying, especially when you have, um, sort of like the audio engineer band member. Um, for example, I've had some situations where, uh, I've had a member of the band who is kind of like an audio engineer and they they think that, well, they really know what they're doing. Um, and so they're going to tell me, oh, you need to, you know, EQ this this way or you need to compress this that way or, you know, you need to put the reverb like this. And while I understand a lot of that is just kind of like, you know, people geeking out about the profession, a lot of it also is a sign that there's not a trust relationship there. It's like, you hired me to do this record because you like what I do. If you thought you could do it better, why didn't you? You know, um, now, sure, sometimes that's not the case. Sometimes, you know, it's just a it, like a very honest general suggestion like, hey, I really feel like there's a little bit too much like 
500 hertz in my voice. Okay, that's more general. But if it's something like, well, you really need to do this on your mix or, you know, this or that. I can't think of a good example, really. But, um, you know, there's a, there's, you just need to read the situation and gauge. Is that sort of like, are they questioning the trust of this relationship? Do they not trust me with this mix? What's going on? Um, you know, so trust is just so important. You need to be able to trust them that they're going to show up. They're going to do what they're going to do, that they're prepared, that they are going to pay you, that, you know, they're going to work hard and, they need to be able to trust you that you're going to work hard and you're looking out for their best interests and that you're not just doing it for a paycheck and that you're not doing it just because you, you know, want to work with say, oh, well, I worked with this band. Ha ha ha. You know, like some sort of career ego boost or something. It's it really is not about that. and It shouldn't be. So anyway, just make sure that you're evaluating the trust situation in the band and make sure that that's a very strong and clear situation. Okay. And again, like I've talked about before, if you don't like the artist, if you don't trust them, if they don't trust you, you shouldn't work with them. I know it's frustrating. Even if you really like their music, if you feel like they don't trust you. I had a situation a while back with a band that I really liked their music, but I just didn't really get along with them that well. And their lead singer and I kind of had this weird like tension all the time. He kind of didn't seem to think that I was good or think that... I don't know what the situation was, honestly. And, you know, they kept coming back because they liked the results, but it was always so awkward. Eventually I told them, I, I essentially told them, I'm not going to work with you guys anymore. Like, I think you're really nice and everything, but like, you don't trust me to do what I do. And you constantly are like criticizing my decisions and all this. And, and I feel like we can't trust each other and we can't work together like this. It's, it's like completely mind numbing to work on a project like that. I mean, I didn't say it exactly like that. To them. You know, I made it sound nice, but essentially that's, that's why is that as much as I like their music, I, I really did like their music, just working with them on a personal level. It was just not fun and not enjoyable. So sadly I had to make the decision to not work with them anymore. Um, and they also pulled some sketchy stuff and tried not to pay me for this one song I did and just some other stuff like that. Just weird things, one thing after another. So just make sure you're in a trusting relationship with, with your client. Okay. It's not like, it's not so much like, it's like an expanded version. If you hire a plumber, you're trusting that they're not going to like rob you or mess up your plumbing, right? <laughs> like it's like a very big expanded version of that. Okay. Where you need to trust that they're going to do the work and everything and they're not going to scam you, but you also need to just have a good working relationship with this person and feel like we can create something great together. Okay. When you're hire a plumber, you don't have to work with them on your toilet. You know, <laughs> they do the job and that's it. But uh, I've said it before, like uh, the audio industry is interesting because it's one of the few sort of professions or areas of study or, you know, whatever you want to call it, where the skill of the person hiring you is almost equally important to your skill as the person doing the job. Like with the plumber, like you don't have to know anything about plumbing to hire a plumber and have him fix your toilet. Like that doesn't you don't have to have any skill at all. That's a, that's why you hired them, right? But in the music world, it's different. Like they have skill, you have skill, and you both have to use your skills together to make a product, right? That's why trust is so, so important. 
So guys, I hope you enjoyed the show today. Um, I've got a couple other shows planned. I've been working so much. I had two 80-hour weeks back-to-back. Uh, it was, it's been a long month so far and it's the shortest month of the year. Um, you know, so I I don't really know exactly when the next show is going to be, but I promise I have three in the oven, so to speak. So they are coming. I've got some great topics. I got some great suggestions from some podcast listeners recently. And if you have any suggestions for show episodes, please send me an email recording lounge podcast at gmail.com. I always love getting emails from people and hearing their show suggestions, or if they have any problems that they need help with, just send me an email and I will try my best to help you. I'm usually really good about responding to emails within a day or two, so um, sometimes within minutes. It depends on what I'm doing at the moment. Um, So again, you can check out our our website, recordingloungepodcast.com. Um, I've recently switched over the podcast to a new server. Hopefully, I won't have any issues anymore with this. I know that I've had some issues the last couple of years. I've had some issues with the with the server um, going down, and some people were reporting, I can't download it. Why is it not downloading? Uh, I'd get emails from people like all of a sudden, like, hey, this episode's not coming out. It's not, you know, it's not available. Um, so I apologize about that stuff, um, but I... I pretty much think we're in the clear now from now on. I think this ser- this new server is going to be a little more stable and I think that we'll be all good. So um, if you do ever experience any technical issues with the podcast or with the website, again, just send me an email, recordingloungepodcast at gmail.com. Uh, you can also go over to the website and sign up for a free newsletter, which is a zero spam, uh, mostly a notification newsletter that says, hey, this is what just happened. I just put out a new YouTube video or I just put out a new podcast or I just posted a new blog. I try to just inform you of things that might have happened, you know, that are significant. I don't just spam your email with a bunch of stuff. You know, some of these other podcasts and uh, websites send you three emails a day and it drives me nuts. Okay. I don't do that. I promise. Um, but you can sign up for that over at the website. It's totally free and no spam. And I don't send your information to companies. (laughs) So anyway, guys, thanks for taking a listen to the podcast. I'll be back very soon. Uh, probably another show this month in March. Um, so guys enjoy the rest of your week and I will talk to you very soon.